when we think about marriage today, we think about what the culture says about that, and we think about uh, how do we navigate through this, uh, it can be challenging because you may have some advice similar to that. And maybe it's not even spoken that way, but it comes across that way, maybe passively, or you just kind of adopt habits that end up that way, and ultimately it should leave us asking the question, what does this relationship look like God's way, and what can I do to develop that? And as usual, uh, we're going to turn to Scripture to figure that out. And so open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. And this is uh, the section of Ephesians that we've come to as we've worked through this. But as you're turning to Ephesians 5, I want to remind you of something. Because it's really easy for us to come to a passage like this whenever we feel like we want to further our agenda or communicate what we want to say. And the advantage of having gone through the book of Ephesians up to this point, we recognize that the entirety of the book of Ephesians is not focused on marriage. But the reality is, is this letter's being written to whom? Who's it being written to? The church. Everyone say the church. Okay? And it's being written to the church so we can automatically state that This passage to husband and wives is also being written to whom? The church. Okay? And the application of this passage has ramifications and application that go beyond simply our own homes, but actually have roots that stem into our community and into who the church is. And we've been asking the question through this whole series... Who am I, but more importantly, who are we? Who are we as the church? And so I want to caution you in separating these two entities. And oftentimes we separate them and we go, well, we're going to, we're going to come over here and we're going to talk about marriage and then we're going to come over here and we're going to talk about the church. But the reality of the book of Ephesians is that these two things and anything else within this cannot be separated from the whole. That if we have a faulty concept of what this is supposed to look like, then it doesn't just impact our home or our individual lives. It impacts the church and it impacts the community that the church is in. Now, there's one main thing I'm going to reiterate multiple times throughout this message. And If you walk away with nothing else, I want you to walk away with this challenge, okay? And this challenge is that your marriage has the opportunity to be the most obvious representation of the gospel to your family and beyond. Your marriage has the opportunity to be the most obvious representation of the gospel to your family and beyond. And we're going to unpack that more so you get to see that. Now, I want to pause for a minute. And there's some of you who are sitting here today and you're going, oh, a marriage talk. This does not apply to me. 
And I want you to turn to your neighbor and remind them and just lovingly say, this applies to you. Some of you are going, I don't know about this. Now, here's why. Here's why. How many of you here at some point or another have been impacted in good or bad ways by a marriage relationship? Raise your hands. Okay, if we're honest, every single one of us, whether it be the coworker who is in a bad marriage situation and you hear about it, or it is our own parents, or extended family, or whether it's the marriages of our children or our grandchildren, or whether you are at a phase in life where you're going, man, maybe someday, I'm not at that point now, but this has to be part of the development process of going, what should this look like when I get to that phase? You see, whether we recognize it or not, these truths are not only applicable to those who are married now or those who are going to get married soon or those who have been married for a while, but it applies to the church. And the beauty of the church is it's made up of all ages and stages of life and giftedness. And so we can approach this with a confidence saying, this is for me. So that I can see clearly this is what God's design is. And so let's read together Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 22. And we're going to read all the way through this. And then we're going to come back and look a little more specifically into each part of this. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh." This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Heavenly Father, as we approach this subject matter, we recognize that we live in a culture that varies greatly in regards to what this should look like. Lord, I pray that in this moment, in this time, that we would seek you for what you have called this relationship to look like in relation to your relationship with the church. 
Lord, that you would challenge our thinking, that you would bring us in unity to a place where we say, yes, this is God's design, and that you use that to grow and impact not only your church, but the community around us. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first exhortation in this is probably the one that gets the most flack. Verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands. But see, the problem with this statement becomes that we stop there. And not only that we stop there, but so often our culture around us and in the church, we have this idea of submission that is not biblical. And so it's automatically painted in a negative light. And the minute that term comes up, there's people who cross their arms and say, no way. Or people who say, this is just cultural. It was a cultural way of doing things. But it doesn't just say, wives, submit to your own husbands. It says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as, and this is important, even as Christ is the head of the church. Verse 24 says, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So then the question becomes, what is is that then? How do we interpret that in the correct way? Well, I'm going to start, probably the easiest way is for us to think about What submission is not. Okay? What submission is not. The first thing is that submission is not inferiority. In Genesis chapter 1, God said that male and female, he created them, both in the image of God. Okay? There is not just the men who are made in the image of God. Male and female, he created them. Both created by God. Both created for God's purposes. Both created in the image of God. This is not a passage about inferiority. Submission is not agreeing on everything. There's some people who have misinterpreted this to mean that. And so a husband gets upset because his wife disagrees with him and goes, well, you're supposed to submit to me. No, that's, that's, that's not what that's meant to communicate, guys. Okay? Does not mean you're going to agree on everything. In fact, that's healthy within the marriage relationship that there's a balance and there's a check to go, well, is this really what we should be doing? And is this really what that should look like? Submission does not mean you just agree on everything and it's peachy. Submission is not leaving your brain or your thoughts or your giftedness at the altar, ladies. That's not what that should look like. And may I take it a step further to say, if that's what you feel like is happening in a relationship, that you are being demeaned to the place where you're not able to serve and live a life that's focused towards God and who He's created you to be, then there's some unhealthy patterns there. 
does not mean you leave all of that at the altar. Submission is not living in fear. Submission is not, listen to this, putting the will of your husband before the will of God. And so if any of you are in situations where that which you are, your husband is demanding of you goes against the very precedence of what God has called us to in Scripture, it's not okay. It's not what submission is. And submission is not that men are somehow superior to women in God's eyes. Now, listen to this, husbands specifically. We're going to go back and forth a little bit on this. Husbands, this idea of submission is not something for you to demand. It is not something for you to go to your wife and say, you need to submit to me, woman. This very truth is between your wife and God. That's why it says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. The gauge by which this is to be measured is to be measured in the same way that God calls us to in our relationship with Him. And guys, I'm sorry, but most of the time, you are not an accurate reader of that gauge. It's not your responsibility. And may I take that one step further, that there is no place for oppressive or abusive husbands. Ladies, this is between you and God. God has called you to serve in a specific role of His designing within that relationship. And it's not somehow that God looks and says, oh, well, I appreciate the men better, so I'm going to give them a better role. No, 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 no. You recognize that within this, God does not distinguish that somehow one of these roles is better than the other. In fact, hasn't God called us to submission in Christ? All of us, each of us, And that's the measure by which that's to be held in this specific relationship. Now, some of you might be going, well, why does that that matter? In all reality, why, why why does that matter? It matters because if the wife sees that she just has to live up to her husband's expectations all the time, all of a sudden, who is she serving? Who is her primary focus? Her husband. Some of you might be going, well, wait, isn't that what it's supposed to be? No, not primary. According to what we've been studying in Ephesians, 
our focus, our walk, step by step, day after day, our eyes are to be fixed on Christ first. And that then my role as a wife in the marriage should be an outflowing of what's already established in my walk with Jesus. It's not meant to be this separate entity. You see how we separate those so often? The church as opposed to marriage, they're not meant to be separated. But it's meant to embody. Your marriage has the opportunity to embody the very truth of the gospel by fulfilling the roles God has established. And it's not that one, of, one is better than the other. And we're going to understand that more clearly as we get into the next section of this. But first, at the end of each one of these, I'm going to give you some practical ways to fulfill that role you've been called to. Okay? So wives, here is three practical ways. And there's more than this. But I just want to give you some practical, biblical ways to fulfill this role. First off, Pray for your husband. And this might seem meaningless in some settings, but let me tell you, God hears our prayers. And not only does God move when we pray, sometimes not the way we want him to, Usually not as quickly as we want him to. But there's something even more drastic that happens in us as the church when we pray. And in fact, for those of you who are in really trial-ridden stages in your relationships right now, I would challenge you to at least 40 days of consistent prayer for your spouse or the other person in your relationship and watch and see how God changes you in that process. You just might be surprised. Pray for your husband. Pray for him when he's at work. Pray for him when you know he's struggling or challenged with something. When you want to lash out because of something that's happened... Switch that and just pray. Pray for him. It's one practical way. Secondly, any opportunity you have, encourage him to lead. Now, I'll be the first to admit that us guys are very different in what that looks like sometimes. Some guys are really more timid in their leadership. They may be soft-spoken. They may not be an outgoing, super-exuberant personality. Does that mean they're not a gifted leader? No. And other people, they just seem to have it naturally. They just could get up anywhere. They They could talk to almost anyone. And it just seems like they've got it figured out. But let me tell you, I've met people on both sides that are both good and bad leaders doesn't define what a leader is by what their personality is. And sometimes there's opportunities 
to lead. And I'll admit, sometimes we miss them. Sometimes we don't see them. And sometimes that's of our own detriment. Okay? Sometimes we get so busy and caught up with things that we shouldn't be caught up in. I'm speaking on behalf of guys here. That we miss those opportunities to lead. And some of the richest times can be found when there's gentle, loving reminders of saying, Hey, have you thought about maybe taking this on? Stepping into this role? Or even words of encouragement. Hey, do you realize how gifted you are in this area? I think you would thrive if you stepped into something like that. And for some of you ladies, maybe that's a hard thing to say, but let me tell you. You say some of those things and you will knock some of your husbands off their feet. Because they're not expecting it. Another way you could do that, some of you may not want to speak that. And so maybe it's in the form of a letter. And you know what? Maybe I'm old school in my thinking, and some of you are laughing at that because of my age. But there is something really cool about a handwritten letter. And honestly, not only cool, but kind of romantic, too. That my wife sat down and penned penned a letter. You know, my wife and I used to do that when we were dating. And I was in Chicago, and she was back here in Peoria going to school. And so I would, if I'd leave on a retreat or something where we weren't going to have communication for a couple of weeks, uh, we, would, we would write each other a letter at least every other day. And then when we got back, we would just give each other the letters that we wrote each day. Why does that only have to happen when we're dating or when we're engaged? How much more should that be the case when we're married? We're living life together and we're facing the challenges and the trials that come day after day, time after time. And you know what, ladies? Some of your husbands aren't very good with words. And so this isn't about somehow trying to woo him into doing something for you, okay? This isn't, I'm going to, oh, I'm going I'm to write him a letter and maybe he'll take me to that place we've been wanting to go to eat for a long time. Okay? This should be void of expectations in return because it's not about you and your husband. It's about you fulfilling the role that God has given you. That's what it's about. And so you say, even when things are hard, even when I really don't like him, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this because I know that this is what God has called me to do. In the same way that I walk with Him. Even when I'm frustrated with what God is doing, or I'm frustrated that I can't hear from Him, or things are just going bad, and I go, why God? He still calls me to Himself. He calls me to His Word. He calls me to prayer and time with Him. And that should be the model, the mold by which we pattern that. And go, this is what that should look like. And that comes to my third practical way, and this is more of a reminder for you ladies, remember that in the same way God has called 
your husband to be an imitator of God, he has called you to do the same. And if we look back at verse 1 of chapter 5, it says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That is for each one of us. And that should show itself when I step into that role. Okay, husbands, it's your turn. So gear up, listen up. Now, I'll say this, okay? In the same way that ladies, this is something your husband is not to demand of you because it's between you and God, this applies both ways. This is not something to say, hey, 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 Pastor Matt told you this is what you're supposed to do. You need to do it. Come on, come on, come on. Remember what he said in the sermon? Okay, don't don't go there. Now, if you want to have a loving, mutual conversation about these things, that's a good thing. But if we are just telling the other person what they're supposed to do, that is not a good idea. That is a quick train to destroying a relationship. But husbands, look at this. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Now, guys, every time we read that verse, it should cause us to go, whoa, because that's a big responsibility. This is huge. Okay? So I'm going to read this again, and you guys are going to respond. Just the guys, because this is on you. Okay, so I'm going to read this and you guys are going to go, whoa, all right? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Yes, that was good. That was everything I hoped it would be. Men, lift your voices up. That was good. Lofty expectations and responsibility here, guys. Guys, this goes beyond providing for your family monetarily. There's so much more than that. And I understand some of you are going, that's what I feel like I am the best at. I could do this. And even when things seem like they're falling apart at home, some of you are going, I'm affirmed in my job. Because I get this done, and it's accomplished, and I can look at the progress that's been made. And guys are task-oriented like that. We like to think in that, those ways. But your task is not done when you leave the office. In fact, the eternal task you've been given begins at that point. When we get out of the car at home and step into our house, 
how we enter the home says a lot about the priority our family has in our day-to-day schedule. And guys, whether you realize it or not, how you step into the house, you don't even have to say anything. And you set the tone. Why? Because God has given you that role. Even if you disagree with the biblical principle of this, you guys fill that role. And you see it. If you were to ask your spouse or your children or anyone else how much your attitude and demeanor changes things when you step into the home, they'd be honest with you. They can tell by the look on your face how your day was. And everything that follows after that is a production of that. So the question goes, how did Christ love? Because your call is to model Jesus in your home. Christ loved intentionally. He didn't wait for someone to come to him and say, oh, Jesus, you know, I really respect who you are and I want to follow after you. And he goes, okay, now I can love you. That's not what Jesus did. In fact, Romans tells us that it was while we are, were still sinners that Christ died for us. There was no reason, there was no reason that Jesus had other than love for his people to die for us. So husbands, you may go, Things have been so bad, I see no reason to show this kind of love in my home. doesn't matter. I don't care what kind of reason you have, because Scripture says you're to love your wife as Jesus loved us. And a really hard question you could ask yourself, guys, is going, if, I, if Jesus loved me in the same way that I'm loving my wife, how would that look? If Jesus' love was shown to me in the same way that I love my wife and my family, how would that look? That's a humbling thing to ask yourself. He loved intentionally. He loved sacrificially. He was willing to give himself. Now, this is different than just being willing to die for your spouse. okay? Because I really believe that Most men in here, if not all of you, would give your life for your spouse no matter how difficult things have been at home. Because God has put that into a man's heart to be a protector. And if it came down to it, your husband, ladies, I almost guarantee would say, I would give my life for her. I truly believe that. But sacrificially goes beyond just being able to say, I love you enough that I would give my life for you in that situation. It means I'm willing to sacrifice what I want for your betterment. I'm willing to set aside my own desires and maybe what I really enjoy to do because I care for you more than I care for myself. Jesus loved faithfully. And he constantly, God was constantly calling his people out of a place of idolatry. Guys, faithfully doesn't just mean, if you're unfaithful, it doesn't just mean that you're with someone else. You could be unfaithful 
to your wife with any number of things. You could be unfaithful to your wife with the TV. You could be unfaithful to your wife with your phone. You could be unfaithful to your wife with your friends. You could be unfaithful to your wife with your job. It has to be a priority. Jesus loved unconditionally. That may be the hardest one. So often, men expect to be respected but fail to love. And they say, I'll, I will love you when you respect me. And the, the wife goes, I will respect you when you show me love. And as Emerson Egerich says, you get on the crazy cycle. And you just spin and spin and spin until one of you decides to be the adult. And say, all right. We're going to do this unconditionally. May I remind you in Ephesians chapter 2, you're saved by grace through faith, and this is not of works, so that no man can boast. It is a gift of God. In the same way, that should be the pattern by which we fulfill our role in our marriage. It's unconditional. It's not because of something you've done. It's because this is what God has called me to in Christ. Now, practically, as we think about this, and then guys, I'm going to give you your three practical ways at the end here. I want to draw this illustration, and this is probably one of the most accurate ways I could think of to depict this. Why these roles are so important. Okay? And I want you to think about an umbrella. Okay? Don't make fun of my drawings. This is the covering of God. This whole umbrella of Scripture, the umbrella of truth. And guys, your call is to love your wife in the same way Christ has loved us. So you're under that umbrella of God's instruction and God's calling on your life. And that's where you pattern your focus and your, your energy towards. And in the same way, if the wife is called to submit to her husband's leadership, all of a sudden you see what happens. If the wife is able to submit to her husband and that fulfill that role and her husband is abiding under God, then by the wife submitting to her husband, where is she at? She's under the umbrella of God's purposes and His intentions for your marriage. But see, what happens is, guys, we get out here, outside of God's covering, outside of this umbrella, and we, we pursue this in a way that is not Christ-like and is not rooted in truth. And now, you guys are responsible for putting your wife in a place where she feels like she's divided. Because you're over here and this is what God has called me to. And so then all of a sudden, we have moms and wives who end up having to be the spiritual leaders in the home because they're trying to stay under this umbrella when that's supposed to be your job, to lead that charge, to focus that energy and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to abide under this umbrella of God's truth and all that He's called me to so that when my wife looks at me, And my actions and my purposes, she is in the same way abiding under the covering of God himself. 
We've got to keep that in mind. That should be our desire. So guys, three practical ways to fulfill your role as a husband. One, pray for your wife. For the same reasons that I said, wives, pray for your husbands. Watch how it changes your attitude. Two, recognize that this relationship is not about you or your leadership. It is about God and His glory. Recognize that this relationship is not about you or your leadership. It is about God and His glory. So take time to remind your family what it's all about. Take the helm when it comes to leading your wife and discipling your children. Ask your wife what areas she would like you to lead in. Take the initiative there. And thirdly, in everything you do, ask yourself if this is how Christ treats the church. Is this how Jesus treats the church? Verse 28 in Ephesians 5 says, In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. Why is that the case? Because the later truth that says, The two shall become one flesh. One unit. And the damage that husbands do to their wives, therefore they are doing to themselves. Of your own detriment. Do something to intentionally build your wife up. Ask her what areas she desires to grow in. And then pray with her for those areas. Make her a priority in your schedule. Now, guys and gals, these are not things that you're just going to solve tomorrow. This is a lifetime of work. And in fact, there's many of you, I feel really humble to be teaching this, because there's many of you who have a lifetime of testimony to living these things and the challenges that you face. And everything that I'm saying to you this morning has challenged me in the same way. We're in this together, in the same boat, seeking to walk in step with what God's desire for this is. What His plan and purposes for this is. So look to here. Look to each other. Walk alongside. Find someone who's at a different phase in their relationship with their wife and talk with them. What what have you done to continue to build that up? Get a marriage mentor, not because you need counseling, but because you want to instill in your family a desire to grow in this way. Now, to motivate this, I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. We're going to close with a song today, but I'm also going to ask that our elders and their wives that are in here would just come down front here, and this is why. If you are here today as a couple or as someone who's experienced trial in a marriage or someone who is looking to the future of wanting to get married and you really want this to be established in God's way, during this last song, I want you to just come up and have one of these couples pray with you 
for your marriage. And you don't have to, you don't have to have anything specific. You don't have to be going through something for this. This is just a simple way for us to say, hey, let's start this together. Let's do this together. And whether you've been married for two years, 20 years, 60 years or beyond, this is something that God's called us to embody for the health of His church. And so if that's you, at any phase where you're at, I would invite you to come and allow our elders and their wives to just pray over you and your family this morning. Heavenly Father, we recognize this is hard. We recognize that there's so much more truth here that we could unpack and seek to understand. And yet, God, you have called us to fix our eyes on you and model that in our homes. And I pray that you would challenge us to be the husbands and wives that you have established in Scripture for us to be. Not that we would see each other as less or more than the other, but that we would understand that each one of us is in desperate need of your grace. God, that we would humble ourselves before you and allow you to transform us, recognizing our weakness, recognizing our need before you, and that you would be glorified in our homes, in the marriages represented here, in the future marriages that are yet to come. Lord, that your church and this community would reap the fruit of your people rooting into these truths. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.